I remember one night in particular when I was 18 years old, had been out late playing basketball with friends. It was well past midnight. I was exhausted after hours of playing ball and I was driving home and I came to a traffic light and it annoyed me because it had turned red right as I was getting to it. And this was a particularly long red traffic light. But I was so tired and I looked around and there was no one on the road. It was, it was early in the morning. And I thought to myself, you know, the whole reason why we even have traffic lights is for safety. Because it, it helps govern the road so that everyone on the road is, is safe and is sound. And so I looked to the left and to the right and there was no sign of any car coming. And so I reasoned, this is perfectly safe. I can go ahead and just go through this red light because the spirit of the law is to keep the road safe. And I'm not endangering anyone with going through this red light. And so instead of actually obeying the law, I drove through the red light. Now, I couldn't believe the second that I ran through the red light, I saw blue lights in my rearview mirror. I hadn't bothered to look behind me where there was a cop that was just waiting behind me at that red light. And he didn't like my reasoning. Like, it was, it was interesting. I was trying to explain to him the spirit of the law and safety and that there was no danger taking place. And he just gave me a ticket. And he said, no, son, you broke the law. And I realized he's right. And as I was driving home, still tired, obeying every traffic law at that point, I, I'll never forget just thinking through that, thinking, man, what's wrong with me? How could I have been so blind? My first thought was so blind to not look behind me to the cop that was right there. But even beyond the blindness and not the police officer, how could I have been so blind to the truth that the red light I'm called to obey as the law, I'm not called to reason my way around it, I'm simply called to obey the law. And I had convinced myself because I thought it would be better for me to get home and go to bed quicker. I had reasoned my way around the law, but that didn't change the fact that I was still in sin and disobeying the law. I was blind. I chose to believe my own lies, my own justification and reasoning. And every one of us can do the same thing. We can lie to ourselves and we can reason and explain away what we know is right. When deep down inside, we know that it's sin, we know that it's wrong, we know that it's a problem, and yet we keep lying to ourselves and justifying our actions, and we're blind. But we know deep down inside what's going on. And yet there are other moments where we are so blind, and we've had the pattern for so long that we don't even remember where it began, and we really don't even realize it. We're just living. We're just operating without even stopping to even think, is this glorifying to God? Sin can be a very powerful, blinding force. And every one of us is so desperate for the Spirit 
of God to shine his light into our darkness and to expose our sin and to remove our spiritual blindness because this blindness prevents us. Prevents us from what? It prevents us from being who God has made us to be. It prevents us from enjoying our God and life to the fullest. And so we need the light of the world to shine into the darkness of our hearts. And it only happens when we encounter Jesus. Seeing the face of Jesus. Coming face to face with him is being the light of the world is what casts out the light or casts out the darkness through his and we were reading today out of John chapter 9 about a man who was born into darkness, a man who was born blind, and how Jesus encountered him, and he removed his blindness. And this same Jesus today continues to expel the darkness with his light, heal our hearts, restore us back to him only as we encounter him. Let's read in John chapter 9. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Amen. Praise God, this miracle that had not been known before, a man who was born blind, who was miraculously given sight. And so let me give you the primary truth, this main idea from this whole chapter that we'll read here, chapter 9. This is far more than about physical healing. Yes, he healed his eyes, which is miraculous, and it's the power of God. But this points to, as we'll see, a far greater reality of our spiritual blindness. And so the truth here is that Jesus reveals the glory of God by healing spiritual blindness. So John 9 reveals that Jesus reveals the glory of God by healing our spiritual blindness. And as we look at chapter 9 here in John, this encounter with Jesus and this blind man, this remarkable story, we're going to see truths about who God is, truths about what he is doing in the world, but also revealing who we are. We are blind sinners, and, and Jesus shows us mercy, and he restores our spiritual sight and restores our souls back to him. And there are three specific truths. Number one, we're seeing in this powerful story the purpose of God. We're seeing the purpose of God, which is the glory of God. And so God's purpose is to display his glory. So the man that encountered Jesus was born into this 
darkness. Now, the disciples assumed that his blindness came because of sin. And so they asked Jesus, is it the parents that sinned or is it he who sinned when he was in the womb? Because Jewish thought was such that they actually believed that a baby that was not born yet could sin in the womb and therefore be born, in this case, with blindness. Now, that might sound crazy to us, but if, if you think back to Job, the Old Testament character who suffered greatly, and it wasn't his fault, he was innocent, and yet his friends kept telling him what? You're suffering, Job, because of your sin. So your sin is the direct reason for your suffering. And so he was, they were telling Job, repent of your sin. But that's not true. Job wasn't guilty of any sin that caused his suffering. Just like this man born blind wasn't guilty of any sin or his parents that directly caused this sickness. And so what Jesus is revealing here is that there isn't a direct link with personal sin and human suffering. It's not a direct result. And so it says here that this blind man was afflicted, Jesus says, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So God always has a purpose in your pain. You've got to know and believe this. God always has a purpose in your pain. See, God was displaying his glory through this man's healing. Now, here's what this does not mean. This is important. This does not mean that God intentionally or deliberately caused this baby to be born blind. God did not do that. However, he was born blind because we live in a world that is fallen, that is corrupted by sin. And so our bodies are not perfect. So God did allow this blindness to happen through, in a fallen world, through natural, flawed genetics. Now, God theoretically could have intervened and prevented that, but he didn't. He allowed the natural fallenness of the genes to produce a child that could not see. But he allowed that to happen so that when the child would grow up, he would be healed by Jesus, and people would then see the glory of God in the face of Jesus and then turn to the light of the world and experience eternal salvation and joy and forgiveness. So God did allow this. So God takes our brokenness. He takes our pain, our disappointment, our suffering, our betrayals, all of the things that happen to us that are really hard he takes those things, and, and he, in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty, can then display his glory through it. Well, how does he do that, you're wondering? What Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me. He says, I am the light of the world. And so Jesus, the light of the world, came into this world to display the glory of God by rescuing people. From what? Rescuing people from darkness, from slavery to sin, from the grasp of Satan. And oftentimes, 
if not most of the time, God uses pain and suffering in our lives to accomplish His divine purposes so that we will learn to trust Him more and not in ourselves. Here's the thing. When you're going through something really hard, I'm talking deep waters or very dark valley, the shadow of death, you have to believe with the authority of God's Word that God cannot disappoint you. He can't. God cannot forsake you. God cannot stop loving you. God cannot do anything to harm you. God cannot lie. And I say cannot versus will not for a reason because it goes against his nature. God is love. He's not going to harm his child. God is good. He won't do it. He can't. It goes against who he is. If you're going through something really hard, and painful. You have to believe and trust your Father in heaven that He is doing it only because He loves you. And He has a greater purpose to display His glory and to give you maximum joy in life. Because joy is having more of Jesus, having His presence, and it is through the hard times that we draw nearer to Him and see Him at work. I don't pretend to know what you're suffering with today. I don't know. But however hard your life is on this Friday morning, you have to know that Jesus suffered more. Jesus experienced despair, Loneliness, death of loved ones, poverty, torture. He experienced all of it, and he experienced it in the ultimate cosmic level. The suffering of Jesus has gone far beyond even the worst possible human suffering because he experienced the ultimate rejection, the ultimate cosmic pain that exceeds all of our pain when he experienced the full wrath of God for you and me on the cross. He experienced ultimate rejection and loneliness in his death on the cross. And so on the cross, you have God himself, God in the flesh, suffering in love. Jesus identifying with the forsaken, identifying with the abandoned, identifying with the abused, identifying with the broken. Jesus had to pay for your sins and for mine so that he could then ultimately end evil and suffering without having to end us. You can have hope in your suffering. Jesus sees. He knows. And he's there with you. He will not because he cannot abandon you. But he does more than simply stay with you in your pain. He offers eternal restoration. 
You see, one day Jesus will return in full splendor and glory to complete what he has already begun. You see, God created Adam out of dust of the ground, and then he breathed life into him. That's why Jesus chose to use mud to heal this blind man's eyes. It was a picture of recreating man. It was a picture of redemption, of removing this man's not only physical blindness, but his spiritual blindness and taking him out of darkness and placing him into his marvelous light. It is a picture of our salvation. And so look around the room. You know what you see in this room? Recreations. You see new creations that have been resurrected spiritually who are no longer in darkness, living stones that together are the temple of God that are filled with praise. This is what you see in this room, the handiwork of God who is at work in restoring people to the original purpose of knowing and enjoying God, of, of treasuring Him, of praising Him, knowing Jesus so that others can then come in and also become a living stone who will also experience the joy of having His Spirit, having forgiveness and joy. This is what He's doing, removing us from darkness. This is the hope that we have in the face of suffering, final restoration. What this means is every single horrible thing that you have ever experienced or even maybe are currently experiencing. Every horrible thing, one day will be undone. It will be. We have that confidence. And that the eventual glory and, and the, the joy that we're going to have one day is going to be so much greater than the suffering that we have right now. There is purpose in our pain and what he's doing right now is putting us in a position where we can actually have maximum joy in him. It's all for his glory and for our good. And so trusting Jesus and being satisfied in him, even in the middle of pain and suffering, is a display of the glory of God. Just this week I was talking to a brother about this this story, we were just kind of sharing, and he had been reading um, John 9 himself, and he said, Matthew, what struck me about this text is, is this idea of waiting. And I thought, you know, I agree with you. I, when I was studying it, that hadn't struck me, but it struck my brother. And, and as we talked about this, I thought, man, he's right. Think about it. This grown man had to wait his whole life to finally be healed. He had to wait. Are you in this season of waiting? Is there something that you really want and a good thing that you would desire? And yet, God in his wisdom is saying, not yet, my son. Not today, my daughter. Wait. Wait for me in my perfect timing. God calls us oftentimes to wait but he's doing it for our own good.
because he has a plan for your maximum joy and for his glory to be revealed to the most. And so we're called to encounter Jesus, to truly rest in him, and to wait. Jesus says here that he's accomplishing his purposes through his people because Jesus says, we must, not I, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. So he says, God sent me, and then we work the works of God. Which is why when he sends the blind man to go wash his eyes, he sends the pool called sent. Because he sent him. He sent him out. And so this is who we are. We're the ones that are sent out to see people that are blind, to have their blindness removed. And this happens when we surrender our souls to Jesus and truly believe that he is stronger and he is greater and that nothing can bother God and nothing can threaten God. And so we're in him. Nothing can bother or threaten us. We ought not fear. We should be confident in the love of our God and the empowering of his spirit and be on mission with this works that we have, that we do, that we're called to tell others the good news that they too will experience this joy. Those who don't know need to hear, and it's on us to tell them. So I'm not going to belabor this issue, but on the heels of what we went through last Friday as a church, begging God for healing, and that we'll be a church that is sent, that is out, accomplishing this mighty purpose of God. Let us continue reading the story because our time is all but already expired. And I want to read it and have a few comments and move forward. John chapter 9, let's read the rest of the story. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how are your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. And so he goes home. He tells his friends and neighbors, and they don't believe it. They're like, It's not you. You just look like him. They just can't believe it. Verse 13, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who was a sinner do such signs? There was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Now, these leaders don't care about the miracle. They're upset that he made mud because it was, as they defined it, kneading uh, dough to make bread was a sin on the Sabbath. And so Jesus was kneading the mud. Therefore, it was a sin. And so in their legalistic thinking, making the mud was evil. They didn't even care that he healed someone. So they're saying he can be from God. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son 
who you say was born blind. How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know how he opened his eyes. Ask him, for he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So now there's this inquisition, and they're interrogating the parents. Are you sure this is your son? Are you sure he was blind? And they're scared, like, I don't know, talk to him. He's a grown man. We don't want to get involved in, in this whole process. They were too afraid. Verse 24. So the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. So these leaders so hate Jesus, and they're so frustrated that this blind man is loyal and won't just comply and won't curse Jesus. And this man is questioning, and he's teaching the elites, and he's uneducated. And so they cast him out of the synagogue, which means that he was cut off from all religious and social life. This was the worst thing that could have happened, and it terrified his parents. But here's this man standing boldly for Jesus, unafraid of consequences. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus says, for judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees heard him, these things, and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And so this blind man received sight, but he received spiritual sight in the ultimate sense, and he's worshiping Jesus as God. And all of us can be blind when they continue to draw near and see Jesus and have him open our eyes so we can keep seeing clearly for he is the light of the world so that we also won't be blinded. So just here as we close, just some brief thoughts. I won't elaborate, but if you're taking notes, as you, as you pray this week, I would encourage you to ask yourself, am I spiritually 
blind? Am I blind to an area in my life? And, and these are some marks, some characteristics of spiritual blindness. Number one is disbelief. The neighbors and the Pharisees refused to believe what was right in front of them. Do you sometimes struggle with truly believing God, believing that he'll provide, believing that he loves you, believing him? That's a sign of blindness. Number two, stubbornness. They weren't just disbelieving. They dug their heels, and it was this refusal to admit what was right in front of them. It was obvious, but they were stubborn. Do you struggle with stubbornness? Or no one can speak truth to you because you're never wrong. That's the sign of being blind. Stubbornness. Number three, foolishness. Sin is not rational. These people were not thinking clearly. Sin leads us down a path that is insane and irrational. We'll do things that we would have never thought we would do. Like, I would never do that. But then eventually, you know what? If we're blind long enough, we'll do it. Foolishness. Habitual patterns of sinfulness is a sign of blindness. Number four, in the ultimate sense, for those who reject Jesus, who don't want to follow him, there's condemnation. So the first three can affect even believers, can fall into temporary blindness when they look to Jesus again to, to be, have our sight restored. But those who persist and those who reject Christ and do not want to see and run from the light, they're lost, just like these men. He says, your guilt remains. There's condemnation. But the solution is to trust Jesus. None of us have to experience this. Just trust him. And then you'll receive your spiritual sight. So here are some marks here as we close of spiritual sight. Here's what it looks like to see clearly. One, it's encountering Jesus. This man encountered Jesus. And so coming face to face, so believers that have spiritual sight know Jesus, love Jesus, enjoy him in his presence, and we continue to see more because we're seeing Jesus. Number two, it's obedience to Jesus. Obedience, spiritual sight leads to obedience. This man didn't question, he obeyed right away. How was your obedience? A lack of obedience is evidence that you are not trusting or treasuring Jesus. Number three, increasing trust in Jesus. There's another mark of spiritual sight. This man begins saying, this man called Jesus, verse 11. Verse 17, he says, oh, he's a prophet. Verse 25, he's confessing Jesus healed him. Verse 27, he says that he's a disciple of Jesus. Verse 33, he's defending that Jesus came from God. Verse 38, he's worshiping Jesus as God. You see this progression. You see this growth, this increasing in his trust and love and devotion to Jesus. Our faith ought to be increasing. Our trust should be growing. And so spiritual sight is evidenced by continued progress and growth, increasing trust in Jesus. Number four, worshiping Jesus. When we have our eyes opened to the truth of Jesus, we worship him, we treasure him, we trust him, we want to be obedient to him. May our eyes be fixed on Jesus and live lives of obedience, of mission, of worship that just overflows from inside. Will you pray with me?
Father, we thank you for giving us your word, for allowing us to know you. Thank you that you open our eyes and you remove our blindness. I pray that we would be a people who see you clearly, who are not blinded, and that we would help others to see you as well so that their joy will be complete. So we praise you. We pray that you continue to work in our lives and empower us to work alongside of you. And we pray in the name of our first love, Jesus. Amen.